0: Much of what we believe and how we practice our beliefs is based on the traditions of our upbringing. Much of what we believe and how we practice our beliefs is based on the traditions of our upbringing. Some of you grew up Protestant, and especially if you grew up lowbrow Protestant like I did, you may remember the first time you went to a Catholic Mass or an Episcopal worship experience, and your experience was like, wait, what in the world is this? It kind of felt like something was wrong to you or something was off because it was so unlike your upbringing. Some of you have flown in exactly the opposite direction. I had someone who's been to uh, Gateway three or four times a couple of weeks ago speak to me afterwards and they were honest. They said, you know, I've enjoyed it. Thanks so much. But I got to tell you, it feels really weird. You know, those people stand up up front. It's kind of like a concert, and I'm not used to you, I mean you're sitting down while you're talking, I'm not used to this, it it may feel very foreign to you because much of what we believe and how we practice our beliefs is based on the traditions of our upbringing. I've read before that over 80% of Americans vote for the same political party as their parents. And a significant percentage of the ones who do not vote the same political party as their parents, they do so aligning against their parents. In other words, the influence of our upbringing is the single most important factor one way or the other. So much of what we believe, so much of how we practice our beliefs is based on the traditions of our upbringing. This is not a bad thing, except when it is a bad thing. And when it's a bad thing, it's a very bad thing. Let's go further. Not only are the traditions of our upbringing the single most important factor in what we believe and how we practice our beliefs, but the traditions of our upbringing also provide the framework for how we evaluate what we believe and practice. Uh, Ray Schmidt, some of you know Ray, sent me a video this week, a pastor and author, a man named Tim Keller, doing a seminar. And at one point, he made this fascinating point. He talked about this, and he said, A thousand years ago, if you met an Anglo-Saxon warrior... If he ran into someone who was from a very different culture from him or someone who accosted him in a certain way, he might feel like killing that person. And what's more, he would feel good about that feeling Because he's from an honor-shame culture, and he's from a warrior culture. And that culture, that tradition, would provide the framework through which he would interpret those feelings. As opposed to today, if you walked around with that feeling in northern Virginia, you would think, and several people would suggest to you that you need counseling. You need to go to an anger management seminar. They might even arrest you. Because we don't live in a warrior culture. Our traditions form the framework for how we even evaluate what we're thinking, feeling, what we believe. Jesus encourages us to allow our relationship with God to determine what we believe and how we evaluate what we believe, not the traditions we were raised with. So I'm going to read a fascinating exchange this morning between Jesus and the Pharisees. And during this part of Jesus' ministry, he's always trying to carve out, to help the folks around him understand what it means and how it is that we relate to God. And he's presenting a whole new way of connecting to God, and it takes them a while to get it. So we're going to read Matthew chapter 15, and I'd love for you to read along this morning because we're going to refer to this a number of times. And the first part of this really just sets up the second part. We're really going to focus on verses 10 through 20 of this interaction. But this is Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 20. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they don't wash their hands when they eat. And he answered them, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your traditions? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother, What you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father or mother. So for the sake of your tradition, you've made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching us doctrines, the commandments of men. And now the giddy up part. And if you would, let's go old school and stand out of reverence for God's word as we read verses 10 through 20. Jesus called the people to them and he said, Hear and understand. He's underscoring this. This is an important thing, he says. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, "Uh, Did you know the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They're blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And, And he said, Are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. You may be seated. Okay, I think it will be helpful if we organize Jesus' teaching into two points here, two thoughts. Number one, Keep the main thing as the main thing. And number two, keep your spirituality right side out. Keep the main thing the main thing, and keep your spirituality right side out. First of all, Jesus explains that the Pharisees have made a big deal out of something that's not a big deal, and that's a big deal. You see, over the centuries, before and after Jesus Rabbis and teachers of the law had spent time explaining and expounding God's word. How do we observe the Sabbath? How do we obey this law, that law? Of course, that was part of their job. These teachings over time were collected and eventually collated into what we know today as the Talmud. This is all well and good, except that these teachings eventually became as important in the Jewish community as the law itself. And rabbis and teachers of the law ended up assessing their followers and others. Don't miss that. They ended up assessing their followers and others based on how strictly their behavior conformed to the traditional teaching. So that means these teachings formed the framework for how someone's connection to God was evaluated. These teachings formed the framework for how someone's connection to God was evaluated. Am I doing good in my connection to God? Am am I rightly connected to God? Well, how am I doing in obedience to the traditions? Am I a good person? Well... How am I doing in obedience to the traditions? An example of this would be the practice of hand-washing. Hand-washing provided for practical cleanliness, of course, but it also came to represent something much more than that. It represented ceremonial cleanliness. If the hands weren't washed and washed in a certain way before entrance into the temple or before offering a sacrifice or even before a meal, the person was considered unclean or defiled. Now, the Greek word there is... Koina'o, koina'o. It means common, unclean, defiled, desecrated. I tell you that because this was not a casual accusation. This was loaded with religious significance. Why don't your disciples wash their hands? This was a big deal to the Pharisees. They believed that the lack of hand washing made Jesus' disciples koina'o. And Jesus is profoundly bothered by this whole conversation. In fact, when the disciples observe that the Pharisees are bothered by Jesus' statement, Jesus says to them, forget the Pharisees, leave them alone. They're blind guides, and that word, leave them alone, that's a strong word. In other places, it's translated, forgive them, or dismiss them, leave them alone. So why is that? Why is this such a big deal to Jesus? Why doesn't he just laugh it off, Oh, silly Pharisees with your hand washing? Because they've taken a very small thing and made it a very big thing, and that's a very big thing. In the original exchange, Jesus answered their question with an accusation disguised as a question. He offers an example of how their tradition actually gets in the way of following God's law. He says this, You know that God requires us to honor father and mother, and yet there are times when you allow your followers to claim that some of their income is dedicated to God, probably given to you guys, parentheses, and therefore they can't help their parents with that money. In other words, he's making the accusation that their tradition sometimes actually got in the way of following God's law, and that's a big deal. Then he quotes the Old Testament prophet Isaiah in verses 8 and 9. He says, in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines, What are just the commandments of men? By the way, this should be a sobering warning for us. Evidently, it's not good enough to just show up in church. We can be really trying to do religion and still get it completely wrong. And one of the ways we do this is by making big things out of things that are not big things. Let me step on some Catholic toes and then some Protestant toes. Years ago, before we moved to Northern Virginia, Diane and I lived in Boston, and I pastored a church in the Boston area, and we had a young woman who came to our church, and she got in, engaged to a man who's from a very devout Catholic family, and you all know as well as I do there are Catholic parishes that are pretty dead. There are also Protestant churches that are very dead. The hope Gateway never becomes one of those. This was one of those Catholic parishes. and This young man, we'll call him Bob, this young man was an atheist, a decided atheist, and he didn't mind telling you about it. He was also a union electrician in Boston and a heavy pot smoker, so he was basically high every day at work. He lived at home with his parents. His parents knew all about this. Over a series of conversations with his fiance, a couple of conversations with Diane and I, some exposure to people who knew what following God meant and the radical change that it can make in your life and how everything looks different this man decided that he would give his life to Christ. Bob decided that he was going to become a follower and dive fully in. When he did so, Bob and his fiance asked me to perform their ceremony. Boy, the you-know-what hit the you-know-what, and the family was in an uproar. And several times, this young woman came to Diane and I with arms in the air and couldn't believe it. He was an atheist and a heavy pot smoker. His parents didn't mind that. But the fact that we're going to have a Protestant minister perform our wedding, all hell broke loose. I grew up in a Bible Belt Baptist church. That was, some of you know this story because you lived it. Maybe you've heard some of it from me. That was heavily influenced by the prohibition tradition. So I grew up believing, seriously, that the heart of religion was don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't go out with girls that do. I believed that it was more important that I didn't drink alcohol than it was that I loved Jesus. Seriously. And for the longest time, that got in the way of my spiritual development because I thought God was the fun police. We cannot allow our traditions or our background to determine how we understand God or how we relate to God. We've got to look to Jesus for that. Only then will we keep the main thing the main thing. Something else is going on in this passage as well. Jesus explains here that the Pharisees and specifically the traditions of the Pharisees have turned true spirituality wrong side out. Their whole way of viewing a relationship with God is from the outside in. But According to Jesus, a real relationship with God is always inside out. Let me explain. In response to why don't your disciples wash their hands, Jesus says, it's not what goes into the mouth, but what comes out of it that defiles a person. Then he explains that what comes out of the mouth represents what's in the heart. All right. In the Bible, the heart doesn't mean our emotions. In the Bible, it means What's most important to us, or what's most essential to us, or what's most essential about us, our essential inner selves. When you scratch underneath our deepest thoughts, our our deepest emotions, and you find our true values and our true self, that's what the Bible means by heart. And as we speak or act on that, then that's what has the power to defile us. That's what damages our relationship with God and with others. When our heart becomes public, That's what has the power to defile us. You see, the Pharisees taught that a strict adherence to a set of behaviors, a code of conduct, that's what was the key. But Jesus taught it's not about what we do, but who we are. That true spirituality emanates from our heart and will eventually make its way into our behavior. I need to be honest here for a moment. For those of you who came from a Muslim or a Jewish, or a Mormon background, you have been exposed to this kind of wrong side out spirituality your whole life. For instance, Islam as a religious system tries to define every conceivable situation and tell you how to respond in that situation. There are very strict rules about how to dress, how to eat, and what to eat, and when, how to pray, and when to pray, how to bank, how to trade, and with whom, etc., etc., And Muslim spirituality is determined by how well you adhere to the code of conduct. If you miss everything else, don't miss this. Many of us look for the same thing from Jesus, and he doesn't give it. Look, the church of Jesus Christ is not immune to this kind of teaching. Think of the spirituality that my parents laid out for me. I know I sometimes exaggerate it, but without question, there were times when what was communicated to me was a major dose of minor things. And that's a major problem, according to Jesus. Now, I know some of you feel a little above this. In fact, honestly, when I read this this week, my first thought was, I pretty much got this one. And then I thought of my role as a parent. I want you to think about the spirituality of the American suburbs. The key to a good life, the key to being a good person, according to the gospel of the suburbs, is success. That's our gospel. And how do we measure success? It was good grades, or playing time on your travel sports team, or whatever else form of outward performance-based action drives you as a parent. This is why counselors tell us the current generation of children are stressed out and depressed to an unparalleled degree. The statistics are shocking. You've read them. They feel defiled. They feel common because they're not successful enough. And those of you who have moved here from Africa or India, you're not immune to this. In fact, some of you brought double doses of this with you. Our words and our actions originate from our inner selves, they grow out of what's most important to us, and this is the source of our defilement. True spirituality is not an outside in job, it's not based on our behavior or on our religious performance. True spirituality emanates from a good and true heart. So, we can't leave this topic without asking, where does a good and true heart come from? I mean, if the key is not getting it right on the outside, then then how do we make our inner self good so that it will emanate goodness on the outside? Honestly, this is where Jesus gets into trouble with religious people. Let's not miss what he said in verse 19. I'm going to read it again for you. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Now that's not something you ever hear from the theology of 21st century secularism. This is not the gospel of the suburbs. What we hear is, be your best self. All you need is in you, and all you have to do is get in touch with it, and good will rise. Over and over, the Church of American Successdom preaches, you've got this, you are what you need, just find it within yourself and live it out. But Jesus tells us that our best inner selves produce evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft. And these are the things that defile us, not unwashed hands. So what are we to do? There's a fascinating exchange in another place some of you are familiar with, recorded for us in John chapter 3, where one of these Pharisees comes to Jesus. And John, in his account, tells us that he comes to Jesus at night, probably because he was embarrassed to be hanging out with Jesus. He comes to Jesus and says, you know, I know you're a good teacher, you're a rabbi, what's the deal? And Jesus says to him, Nick, if you want to be rightly connected to God, you've got to be born again. Some of you have heard that phrase before. It was a radical realignment for Nicodemus. In fact, so radical, Nicodemus goes, what? Wait, what? You mean, what? How do I enter again into my mother's womb. No, Nicodemus, you know that's not the deal. The deal is you've got to be born in here. You've got to be born of the flesh and then you've got to be born in here. Something has got to happen to you, Nicodemus, that brings life into you where there was death. And what originally emanated from you was a whole bunch of sexual immorality and theft and evil thoughts, and what I want to do is bring something alive in you so that what comes out of you is true spirituality. I want it to emanate from you. You got to be born again. Now, if you've never had this experience, if you've never invited God to have control over your life, if you've never trusted in the person and work of Jesus Christ, do it today. Because that's the start of true spirituality. You can wash your hands as many times as you want to. You can read as many self-help books as you want. But you cannot get to the starting line of true spirituality until you experience Him in your heart. Until you're born again. And that's a simple deal. I'm going to pray in a minute. And if you've never done that and you sense God speaking and touching this morning, this morning, right now, then I want you to pray with me and I want you to say, okay, look, I've blown it. And I'm here this morning and I guess I'm not even here by accident. And I want you to know, I want this. I want you to know, I want you to cleanse me. I want you to forgive me. I want you to know that I'm taking the tattered ruins of what I've done so far, my best effort, and it still just doesn't feel like it's enough. I want you to take all of that and I want you to save me. I want you to help I want to be connected to you. I want to be rightly connected to you. And I'm beginning to get it. I'm beginning to get what Jesus Christ said. And I believe that he was who he said he was. And I believe that he did what they say he did. I'm in. That's it. And he does the hard part. For most of us, I know many of your stories. For most of us, we've done this. So today for us is a reminder to not let the world around us drive us to the exterior of our lives. We have to resist the temptation to evaluate our children and our neighbors and ourselves based on exterior performance. Today is a reminder to go into the place where we are most closely connected to God, to go to our heart and to spend time with God there. And to let who we are and what we do flow naturally out of that. To invert ourselves spiritually and flow from the inside out. And resist the incredible power of the gospel of the suburbs to live from the outside in. And know that we can never be what we want to be and what God designed us to be unless we're living from the inside out. And, and today's the day to recommit. You know this. To recommit to doing that. To living from the inside out. Let's pray. Father, for those of us who have never made a connection with you, this morning, we ask you to hear us and we say, please, Lord, forgive us for our self-ruled life. Forgive us for our deep commitment to the gospel of the suburbs. And it's not working. And this morning, we recognize it. Forgive us for what we've done to ourselves through our choices. Forgive us for what we've done to our children, to our significant relationships. We pray that you would come inside and make us new. Jesus, we believe that you are who you said you were and that you did what they said you did. We want you to come inside and make us into a new person and start the process of creating real, genuine spirituality in us Lord for the rest of us we hear your reminder to live from our hearts we have been so stinking busy we've lost touch with our heart so this morning wake us up stir our hearts move us move us do a song before we go. Would you stand with us? Pete, could you go to that second verse? Haunted by the past. peace and have a great Sunday.